One Hope Church. All right, good morning. Glad to see each and every one of you here today. And for those of you who join in us online, uh, we thank you for being here. And we uh, want to continue to worship the Lord together. I love that last song. It gives a great perspective um, that there's a lot of things that don't matter um, when we have Jesus and we know we are free in him. Um, Man, that just uh, makes everything clear for us. So help us to, may the Lord help us this morning to focus on um, the words of Jesus this morning as he gives some instructions to his disciples and just want to remind the context that we are at, you know, the last um, supper where Jesus takes the Passover meal with his disciples. He takes the bread and the cup and he tells them to remember him and he gives them, you know, instruction and, and teaching. But he's also told them, you know, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. Um, you know, Judas leaves. And they've got questions. And and in chapter 14, we saw Jesus answer a lot of those questions. And now he's going to give them the key to being faithful to, to Jesus and to his commands for the rest of their lives. And we get to look at that this morning. We get, y'all understand, listen, we get to hear what Jesus told his disciples but right before he goes to the cross for us. Do we understand, do we fathom for a minute the privilege that we have to have access into that room to witness what happened and to hear the teaching of Jesus? Like, that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And so let's, again, go to the Lord in prayer and we'll, we'll read this morning from John chapter 15. So Heavenly Father, we ask you, we thank you for your love and your grace. And please help us this morning to, again, just have appreciation for what we get to, to see from, from you and, and to hear from you, God, that we get to hear the words of your son and instruction for those first disciples that applies to our lives. And we're so thankful. And just help us to keep our eyes on you, dear Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who went to the cross on our behalf. Jesus, you did that for us so that we could live in freedom with you. And so we ask for your help this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, unless, uh, neither, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now let's break that down just a little bit in those first five verses. 
So Jesus sets up the illustration that he is the vine, his father is the vine dresser, and the branches um, are um, disciples, or as we'll see here, um, those who could would um, claim to be part of this whole thing. Now, what does the vine dresser do? Well, the vine dresser takes away dead branches, the vine dresser prunes, the vine dresser um, grafts in. And that grafting is an important concept. And for those um, of us who, you know, have less of an agricultural background, um, grafting is a process where you take, you know, let's just use trees, for example, you can take one variety of apple tree and take a snip from that, a branch from that, and bind it, you know, you make two slices and so that they match and bind that into um, another apple tree and, and tie it together. And if it if it's actually makes a connection there, then that branch will begin to produce fruit off of um, the resources of the tree that it is now attra- attached to, of the, the whole system there, of the, the roots and everything else. It's going to take what it needs, the nutrients that it needs, and it will begin to bru- to bear fruit. So I had a, a um, older, when I was younger, an older preacher friend in, um, in North Carolina who gave me some opportunities to, to kind of learn how to, how to preach. And he had an apple orchard, and he grafted these apple tre- his apple trees, and he taught others how to do that. Um, he was an expert at it. And so he had a tree he called his Heinz 57 tree. So he had 57 varieties of apples on one tree. He had another tree that he was working on getting it to 100. He had a, about 80 on, uh, different varieties of, of apples on that one tree. It's pretty incredible, right? And so this is, keep those sort of concepts in mind as we read and as we understand this passage. So the branches are supposed to bear fruit. So the ones that don't bear fruit, the vine dresser takes away. The ones that do bear fruit get pruned so that they will bear more fruit. You might even do this if you have, you know, flowers, you have geraniums or something, and you might, you know, you, you kind of periodically, you pick at the tops of why, so it'll come, the, the, the plant will, will recognize the need to produce more. So you take away the old and the dead, and, and you, you do that. And Jesus tells them, um, and he's he's speaking to you know the disciples who are who are still you know left in the room. Remember, Judas is already gone. That's that's important for, for part of the concept. Because he's, verse three says, "You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you." Remember back when he washed the disciples' feet, he said, "You're already clean." But then he makes a caveat, you know, not all of you. Judas and then Judas leaves. So now he can tell the ones that are in the room. You are clean. Okay, because Judas is no longer there, the one who denied and betrayed. But you have somebody like 
Peter, who's going to bear fruit, but he's also going to make mistakes along the way. And he's going to either get pruned so that he'll bear more fruit. But that pruning seems painful in the moment, in the temporary, because a pruning involves a taking away of something. It involves, you know, a sharp cut. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you get pruned so that you bear more fruit, usually in that pruning process, we're not like, yay, I'm being pruned. We're like, ouch, this hurts. But it's for a longer term good. Jesus says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. See, we're instructed to to abide in Jesus and Jesus also abides in us. And that's a kind of a key principle because the scripture tells us that, I mean, Jesus already said, you know, he's going to make his father, the father and son are going to make their home within us. The scripture tells us that followers of Jesus are temples of the living God. So we abide in Jesus, but Jesus also abides in us. He is with us. And this gives us confidence because he will not leave us or forsake us. We're also instructed to abide because Jesus tells us that if we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. But then the contrast, for without me, you can do nothing. Now, again, as we take the scripture, we have to take it in the context. And the Lord, does does he mean you can do nothing? Well, in a certain sense, without Jesus, no person can breathe. Okay, that's that's a reality. And without Jesus... None of us can do anything good that's going to last in an eternal sense. Without Jesus, you just can't. Now, there are some things you can do without Jesus. You can be selfish without Jesus. You can sin without Jesus. You can go your own way without Jesus. You can do all that without Jesus. He's he's referring to the implication and the context is he's referring to the good things that are in our lives. The good fruit. You can't do any of the good fruit. You can't produce any of the good fruit of an eternal lasting nature without the Lord. And his common grace, God's common grace, even allows anything, you know, just as we're on that subject, anything good from from those who don't follow Jesus is because of God's common grace that is available to them. Now, if a branch isn't connected to the vine, then it's not going to bear any fruit. It's going to wither up and it's going to be gone, right? Now, Jesus says, if anyone, verse 6, does not abide in me, He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So again, remember that grafting, and if there's a, if, you know, you can have an appearance that something is grafted. If I take a branch from, you know, from one tree and stick it onto another tree and like kind of tie it up there a little bit, it can look at least temporarily like it's part of that tree. But because it's not actually connected, what's going to happen to it? It's going to wither up. It's going to start to 
droop over. It's going to go from green to dead. And it's going to get taken away, right? We're going to take it away. We're going to collect all those. and Well, that's what the vine dresser does. You collect all those and burn them up. Now, so there's a, a lot of um, question about verse 6. You know, what does verse 6 mean? Does that mean that, that somebody could, you know, lose their salvation? Again, with that grafting, we're talking about one that's not actually, you know, connected. Based on what Jesus says in John 3, um, John chapter 3, John chapter 5. And chapter 10, I'll just read the ones from chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, again, from the same author, from the same book of scripture. And I gave them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. For my Father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. There is a security, if a person is truly in Jesus, there is a security with that. So, you know, we believe that eliminates the interpretation of a person can lose their salvation. See, because once you've been saved, you've gone from death to life. You've gone from being an old creature, a dead creature, to a new creature that's alive. And you don't have the strength or the power to make yourself back dead again. And God says, he holds you in his hand. Okay? So, you're secure. There's a security in that. Now, we need to not by any means, seek to abuse that security. And certainly those who actually have experienced the redemption of Jesus wouldn't have any desire to then go and live a life that practically rejects Jesus. That wouldn't make any sense. The second idea is that believers, a second interpretation of the, of the verse is that believers could lose their reward, but not their salvation. Now, this concept, you know, hear the words that I'm saying, because I'm going to make a distinction. This concept is a biblical concept. That's a biblical concept. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 says, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Now, you might think, well, that, that matches up pretty well. You'll be saved as through fire. But again, we need to remember the context of these verses. The question that we have in this passage for like verse six is who is Jesus? What type of people are, is Jesus referring to here? Is he referring to people like Peter who fall and who have moments of weakness? Or is he talking about people like Judas where Judas was never actually grafted in to begin with? And I think the better view is that third view is that these branches appear to others to belong to Christ. So, again, remember, for all the outsiders looking at the disciples, they called Judas a disciple of Jesus. Even those who were insiders they didn't know immediately who Jesus was talking about when he says, one of you will betray me. They're looking around going, which, which, which one of us is it? So Judas was able to fool the world and he was able to fool those who were like genuinely trying to follow Jesus. 
or genuinely had faith. Let's put it that way. Genuinely had faith. He was able to fool both. So in today's terms, I, I think that's the better view, again, given the context of the, of the passage. Again, the second concept that a believer can lose reward is certainly a biblical concept. Just perhaps not the, the best view for what Jesus is getting at, at here. Um, but this idea of everything that we see on the tree gets called Christianity. And this is, this is one reason why I'm, I get, I get, you know, I'm, I'm careful about how we use words and language. And if somebody asks me today, if they say, are you a Christian? I'm not going to say no, because I am a Christian, but I'm going to try to use terminology that better reflects my actual position. Because the word Christian is so broad, you don't actually, when people say that, a lot of people don't actually mean, well, I believe that I was lost and dead in trespasses and sins, and that I deserved the judgment of God, yet by God's grace, through faith, God made a way at the cross that Jesus sacrificed himself, was dead put in the tomb and rose from the dead and that I have received eternal life not because of anything good that I've done but because of the good that Jesus did and I believe in him and that's it and I've put all my chips on in Jesus I've got 100% riding on Jesus, 0% riding on me because if even a little bit rode on me, I'd go to hell it's all Jesus and so my life is is centered around the reality that Jesus is my savior and he's my king and he has authority over my life. So my responsibility is to try to follow Jesus. That's what I mean when I say the word Christian, but it's easier for me to say disciple of Jesus or follower of Jesus. Something along those lines, even the word evangelical, which in at some point in the past meant that doesn't really necessarily mean that anymore in many circles. So we have to try to be as clear as we possibly can be. But Christianity is this big umbrella, and can you stop anyone from saying that they're a Christian? Of course you can. I mean, a person can say, I'm a Christian, and I believe that you have to believe that, you know, in, in like unicorn fairy dust magic to be saved and you know or whatever or a person can say well I mean let's just be here I, I can be a Christian and believe there's no heaven and no hell or I can be a Christian and believe that you know they're just you know that this is good for me but there's just so many different ways to God see a person can say they're a Christian without actually believing what Jesus says we need to believe And really to believe in him. You see what I'm getting at? And so what do we call that? We call that the Judas church. We can call that the Judas church. But you see, for the world and for so many people, and even for, for many times for like real disciples, it'd be hard for them to see 
the difference or to, to understand it explicitly for, for a lot of people it's just it's Christianity but Christianity has a lot of the Judas church within it and so what is the vine dresser going to do with the Judas church he's going to take it away because it's dead he's going to deal with it Now, that might not sound super encouraging, but I think there is an encouragement there because Jesus cares about his, you know, and the father, the vine dresser, cares about the church. And it will not be allowed to continue on indefinitely with confusion or the Judas church being part of it. There comes a point where he's going to separate the sheep from the wolves in sheep's clothing. He's going to make a distinction. And while all of that might not be fully clear, now all of it will be fully clear one day. Now, just so... We're clear and careful. Because I, I want to be really clear that Jesus said the way to life is narrow and that there are few who find it. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't think that the true church would be as large as you know Christianity is in the world today. We should, we should by no means be confused into thinking that those two are equivalent. And again, how do I know this? Well, in many parts of the South, if you took a poll and you had like the percent of, of Christians in an area, those percentages in many places would still be massive. Like, you know, eighty over 80% of people would identify. It's like, well, that doesn't match up with what we see in society. Those are, you know, that's not, that doesn't make sense. That if you had 80% of people in a population that were really following Jesus and abiding in him, my goodness, what would that place look like? I mean, all of us would, everybody want to move there because that would be like the most joyous, peaceful place on earth. There would be so much good and so much love going on. And on the other side of it, because like people get a little nervous, well, wait a second, wait a second. Are you all saying you're all the only ones that have the truth? No, I'm saying Jesus is the only one who has the truth. And there are, you know, millions upon millions of his followers around the world in many different, you know, groups. Whenever somebody says, well, we're the only group that has the truth, then that, in terms of, you know, we're the only ones who are actually following Jesus, you know, the right way in terms of their very small particular, you know, group of people. And and there have been those that have come up, you know, and, they'll, and, and how you end up knowing those sorts of things is because they end up doing things like um, uh, there, there is a there is a group that that, you know, again, small relative in relative terms, but had a pretty pretty good sized following. 
but their doctrine was unless you're baptized in our water. See, we're the true church, and unless you're baptized in our water, you can't be saved. So if you, you, you know, you might have thought you actually really believed in Jesus before, but if you hadn't been in, baptized in our water, no, you actually hadn't, and it's not good enough, and you got to be baptized in our water. See, that sort of stuff is heresy. That sort of stuff is ridiculous, and is just as much part of the Judas church as other types of heresies. So they come in different shapes and forms and fashions. Okay. So we have to be clear that we just go based on what Jesus said and what his qualifications are. And so now as we get into verses 7 and and 8, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. I mean, that's so cool because you see, if we're abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in us, then we're going to want the same things and we're going to ask for those things and God's going to give us those things. And we're going to bear a lot of fruit. Well, what sort of fruit fruit are we going to bear? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now there's different types of fruit. There's like, you know, more disciples, you know, type of fruit. There's a testimony type of fruit. You know, a witness type of fruit to the world, regardless of whether the world receives it or not. But all fruit that comes from abiding in Jesus is going to have these characteristics. See, if we're abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in us, then shouldn't we expect to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? You know what's lacking in our world today? Love true love, which is seeking what is best for others. True love that is fully devoted to God, whether we have the same desire as God or not, about any particular thing. Love, joy, imagine in our world today, what is lacking? Love, joy, peace, Our world's version of peace is, is always temporary. We see we see around the world today. Try to find peace. Oh, you think you found somewhere with peace? Okay. Come back in a couple years. See if you still have peace. You know, peace is in our world quickly comes and quickly goes. Around the world today, there are people, I mean, we've had issues here. But if you think about what's happening in so many places in the world, we have the opposite of peace. We have war and division. 
You have oppression. Love, joy, peace, patience. And you know what our world does not want to have today? Patience. And we're, we're infected by that. We oftentimes lack patience because we live in an impatient world. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. See, we need to be faithful. If we abide in Jesus, you know, we need to be faithful to Jesus. You see, in, in a marriage... Faithfulness is fidelity, is faithfulness to that other person that you made a vow to. But what happens when there's not faithfulness? I mean, everything breaks apart. And so my point there is, with Jesus, we need faithfulness. And what that means is that Jesus has to have that first priority because whenever Jesus isn't our first priority... What I'm doing and what you're doing in those moments on those days where Jesus is not the first priority is that we are cheating. We're putting something or someone else in his rightful place. What makes infidelity wrong in a marriage is because what was promised to one is given to another. That's what makes it wrong. Same thing with Jesus. When you know we've promised to one, but many times we are we are prone to follow others, and that becomes problematic. But these are encouraging verses because he says, you know, you're going to bear this fruit if you abide. You know, if we abide in Jesus, there's a guarantee that we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Like, that's a guarantee if we abide, we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We need to abide. That's the call. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, as also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, Jesus in his humanity gave us the example. Even though he was equal to the father, he was yet under the authority of the father in all things to be an example to us. That because he was obedient, even to the point of death, even to the point of death on the cross and to pay for our sins and did so in loving obedience to the father. He's given us that example that we would keep his commandments. And if we do keep his commandments, then we will abide in his love. So what's the, what, what's the implication here? The implication here is that when we sin, when we go or do things our own way, when we believe what we want to believe and say what we want to say and do what we want to do that is contrary to Jesus, then it's that disobedience that breaks the abiding. So if you want to stay abiding, if you and I want to stay abiding abiding in Jesus, we have to stay obedient. And, and the point of the passage there is, is our fellowship. It's not about whether we're going to lose our salvation or not, but it's about 
our fellowship with Jesus. And that's ultimately about the glory of God, the fruit that is produced, and our joy. Because if a person is being, if a disciple of Jesus is is striving for obedience, come what may, they're going to have some peace and joy in their lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not abiding, it doesn't matter how good things are, are, you're still, you're not going to be content. You're going to have a lack of joy. You might have moments of temporary happiness, but overall, there's going to be a, a theme of discontentment. You're going to have a roof over your head and still have discontentment. You're going to have food on your table, still be discontent. You're going to have the job you wanted, still not be content. So you can get everything you want, but if you're not abiding in Jesus, you're not going to be content. And you could have a ton of things in your life that you wanted that you didn't get. But if you have Jesus, you can still find joy, peace, and contentment in that place. It is a world of difference. Obedience is the key. Because, and, and the reason he says it, he begs us in verse 10, abide in, you know, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, he set the example. These things I have spoken to you, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And that your joy may be full. You see, that's how much Jesus loves us. He's telling us, look, you need to obey, not just because I told you to, and not just for my glory, even though all those things are really, really true, but also your joy depends on it. He's looking out for us. Your, your, our joy depends on it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, so then, you know, that commandment, and then we're told to have that, you know, we're going to have that joy if we fulfill the commandment. And then he gives us this commandment. Is this commandment that, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So Jesus here is saying there's a part of this relationship that is servant and king, but it's much more than that. You see, there is a part of the relationship where Jesus is king and he sets the agenda. He tells us what we need to do and how we need to do it and when we need to do it and all of the things like Jesus gets to tell us because he's the king and he's the one who has the authority. But he also tells us, I'm not calling you servants, I'm calling you friends because I've let you know what I've received and what you need to do. You see, that's the difference because a boss doesn't have to tell you why. Just strictly a king-servant relationship, the servant does not is not privy, does not get to know the mind of the king and the why behind the command. It's just go and do. But Jesus doesn't treat us that way. He treats us 
here he calls us friends because he lets us know the why. He lets us know what, what the Father's heart is and what, what his heart is and what is for us and what's for our good and why it's for our good. He explains it to us. Because that relationship isn't just king-servant. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's better than that. It has a higher level of intimacy than that. And that's beautiful. Because understand this, God doesn't have to do that. You know, God is God and he can just say the commands outside of any relationship. We still need to do it. It's outside of any fellowship, but we still need to do it. Because he's God and we're not. But in his love and grace toward us and his benevolence, he's like, I want to be your friend. I call you my friends. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The God of the universe, the one who holds all things together, says, I don't call you, I don't just call you servants. I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Verse 16 and 17, we'll finish here. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Now, Jesus here reminds his disciples that he had called them. Again, context matters. Context matters because this is different. This is this is different to the practice at the time. See, in, in these days, a person would, would, you know, have exposure to a teacher. They would hear a teacher, see a teacher, and they'd go to that person and say, I, I want to be an apprentice. I want to be a disciple. You know, can I follow you? These guys, some of them out there fishing in their nets, Matthew sitting there collecting taxes. They weren't looking, going, "Hey, I want to, I, I want to go find Jesus and ask him to be my teacher." No, Jesus came to them on the seashore and said, "Come follow me." Found Matthew at the tax office and says, "Come follow me." And they had to leave everything they were doing, and they followed him. They had to leave their agenda, and then they followed Jesus. Okay. So he's giving them a reminder because when times get really difficult, when they're receiving everything that the enemy and the world can throw at them, they can have confidence knowing, hey, remember, Jesus called us to this. And he gives them, and, and we need to, even in, I think in this context too, that he appointed them. And he, he, he does give them a, a certain... We know Jesus gave his disciples um, and the one who replaced um, Judas, Matthias, and um, Paul. He gave them a special, unique authority. He gave them what we call apostolic authority. So they're able to, they had some, some certain privileges that not every disciple, you know, not, we don't all receive, we don't receive all of that. Yet we still have an application. 
there's still an application there for us. And we do have the same God, same Savior and King, same Holy Spirit. So a lot is available to us. We just have to be careful not to view ourselves as if we were Peter, James, John, Paul, in terms of like certain authority and power and certain authority and power even to say, you know, to declare like they were able to by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is scripture. There are certain things that we don't have power and privy. We don't, we don't have power and privilege for. Okay. But a lot of it we do. And so we can have this confidence that any situation that Jesus has us in, no matter how much pressure we see, we receive from this world, that if we are abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in us, we can handle anything. We can handle anything. We can handle any economic situations. We can handle anything that the world says is right or wrong. We can handle, I mean, we can handle any cultural trend. We can handle any persecution. We can handle any problems. Again, I'm, I'm not saying with, that that's without suffering. Of course, that would be, you know, a lot of things I just described there would involve suffering. But what I'm, my point is, we can still have joy in Jesus in all of those things if we're abiding and we're obedient. That our circumstances, whether the world says, oh, well, we love you and we think what you're doing is great. Well, we ought to be careful there because are we actually telling the truth enough if, you know, the world is always saying it loves us. We got to be careful with that. But whether they're just kind of letting us do our thing or whether they're like, no, you can't do your thing anymore. Like governments have done in so many parts of the world. If you're abiding in Jesus, if the, if, you know, the true church says abiding in Jesus is going to be just fine. True church of Jesus does not need a good economy in order to be effective in its mission. True church of Jesus just needs Jesus. Is the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And that's what we need, folks. And so, I mean, now is a time. I mean, it was time, time before, but I mean, if not now, when? And if not you, who? That, that we need to get back on our knees before Jesus and say, we need to abide. We need to live in your power and in your glory and in your love. And Jesus finishes that verse 17. Now he, he's not done. Marcus is going to pick us up next week. He says, these things I command you that you love one another. He says that again. Now, if Jesus is saying that again and again, that we need to love one another, I mean, it's important. And the reason we, we need to love one another is because you know, first of all, we have to love one another because we're all, you know, we're, we're different. We have different personalities. And if we just go based on things the world does, a lot of people who are followers of Jesus aren't just naturally going to like each other. You know, we, we have to love one another despite our differences of personality and, and cultures and all those other things that have a tendency to divide. So we love one another. 
sacrifice for one another so that we can stand strong together when things get difficult in this world. When things get harder, isn't a great time to start figuring out how to love. I mean, it's better late than never, but we need, you know, we got to have the love. The love is that command. Love one another. Seek the best for one another. Why? So that, that we can be strong together in this world. And so that others would see our love for one another and that that would be attractive to them. I'm going to finish with this because you see a lot of what the church has done today. It said we're going to we're going to design church. We're going to design our meetings. We're going to design everything for people who aren't followers of Jesus. But we got to make sure that we don't offend them or drive them away. So we're not going to talk about anything controversial. We're going to, you know, there's huge portions of the Bible that we're not even going to going to touch. Because we don't want to scare anybody away. And in that, Christianity has grown. And some of those who have, who have been part of that are, I mean, are true. I mean, there has been true people coming in faith to Jesus. But the problem with that model as a whole is that people then have to either make compromises on what they believe or when they actually state what they believe, then people feel tricked, disillusioned, and tons of people exit. So what was there really if tons of people exit when there's truth about sin? So we have an illusion that we're doing all this stuff but what's really happening? What, what the world really needs to see is what Jesus commanded, that we love one another and that we worship. And it makes a change and it, and it makes a difference to the point that we're willing to sacrifice for it. And that's what the world needs to see. But for our joy, we need to obey the commands of Jesus to follow him and to abide. That's how we abide is we obey. And so let's seek to do that with even greater determination, knowing, again, that determination is knowing I can't do this on my own. Jesus, please help me. It's like, I'm, and you know, we, let me just leave you with this. We have to be determined to ask God for help. If we leave anything left with this when it comes to abiding God I need your help to abide I need your help to obey because I just my flesh just don't want to do that so it's got to be done in the spirit so please help me Heavenly Father we come to you now we thank you for your great love and grace in our lives please continue to help us help us to strive to follow you to do what is right in your sight help us to obey that our joy would remain full Jesus, we ask for strength and that you would help us to take your gospel forward that more disciples would be made in this world because we know that the best life truly is the one that has lived in obedience to you. Help us to live it and to share it with others and to share it with one another. 
We love you, Jesus. As we take the bread and the cup now, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. We praise you in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.